Hello, friends. This is Nathan Powell. I co-host a brand new podcast called Dynasty Double Take with Dan Sanyo. We join the DLF family of podcasts with unique Dynasty arguments in a short 10 to 12 minute format. Dan and I love to debate Dynasty, and we hope you enjoy our banter as we discuss topics like trade offers, coaching, draft capital, and much, much more. You're listening to the DLF Dynasty Podcast, where there is no off-season. Welcome back to another episode of the DLF Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host this week, Matt Price. With me, as always, Ryan McDowell and Dan Myler. Ryan, week eight is in the books. Only five games left in the regular season. Uh, I'm sure you are in the playoffs in all 500 of your leagues. I'm having a pretty good year, but man, I can't believe we're already... Two months into the season, it, it it just blows blows my mind how quick this goes once we get into the season. After all of the work we put into this, uh, Dan, you know, uh, it just goes so quick, man. Yeah, it's it's really disappointing, to be honest with you. I read that on the agenda, eight done. Even if you go to your championship game, you only have eight left. So that's brutal. I have to tell you, though, I'm looking forward to January because I, I don't really start looking at these rookie, this rookie class until January. So I kind of miss the, the, the offseason where we really start to dig into some of these prospects. Um, but this week, you guys, uh, the trade deadline happened today, in fact, and we got a, had, a, had a flurry of activity again. Uh, the NFL is, keeps surprising us every year, more and more trades. We're going to start off, Dan. Uh, we won't talk about the defensive side, although you can throw in Ha Ha Clinton Dix, that move, if you like. But we are going to start off with the Packers moving Ty Montgomery to the Ravens for a 2020 seventh round pick, which is basically free. This, this was kind of riding on the wall, Dan, after uh, the debacle <laughs> against the Rams on, uh, on Sunday. Man, uh, he was told to kneel down and give Aaron Rodgers a chance to come back and win that game. And he probably could have the way that offense was rolling that last couple of drives. But instead, he chose to bring it out, fumbled the ball, and uh, Rodgers didn't get another chance, and we lost that game. So he moves to the Ravens. Uh, I wrote down as winners. Feel free to disagree with me if you like. I wrote down the winners as Aaron Jones and uh, Ty Montgomery himself, actually, and a little bit of, of uh, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling in there. What do you think about that? This is the second time that a, a player in Green Bay in the last few years has deliberately disobeyed Mike McCarthy and then got <laughs> shipped away. So the next week, you remember Bostick uh, didn't make the block on the onside kick against Seattle in the playoffs and didn't last very long after that. So uh, the Green Bay media just tore up Ty Montgomery, and, and you were right. The writing was on the wall. I actually think dynasty-wise and fantasy-wise that Montgomery is the biggest owner here, the Raven, or the biggest winner, I mean. The the Ravens have a history of using pass-catching tailbacks in relatively big roles uh, as recently as Danny Woodhead over the last couple of years. I think, I think Montgomery offers a little bit more of that than they currently have on their roster. As an, another guy that watches the Packers regularly, Matt, you know that Ty Montgomery is at least an average, maybe even above average, uh, pass blocker, third down type guy. Uh, he's not a big guy, but he can at least slow down a blitz. And I think that's enough to get him on the field and he'll catch some passes. I would I would assume he has 41 touches right now on the year. I assume he has more than that on the backside of this 
the schedule. So I think Montgomery's a winner. I don't know necessarily that Aaron Jones is because they, although he started against the Rams and, and looked good, and especially in that first quarter, he still didn't see a lot of touches and they were in the lead. Uh, he was still sharing carries. Um, so while I'd like to see Aaron Jones get 18 touches a game, I'm, I'm not convinced that Montgomery moving on, who is only getting a couple a game anyway, really, really helps him out. So obviously the loser is Buck Allen. I think the biggest winner could be Montgomery, and I think there's a chance that he could become a flex play down the stretch here. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, Montgomery definitely stands out to me as as the winner in in this deal. Um, but man, what what an ugly situation with your all's Packers. That was that was wild, and to see and hear some of the comments from even from the Packers players, some that were made publicly and, and some attributed to anonymous players it yeah the the writing was definitely on the wall that he was going to be gone so good for him to land in a good spot buck allen yeah that's <laughs> i'd actually gone out and and tried to acquire buck allen in several of my leagues I, I really liked him in that role but honestly he just wasn't really getting it done so love montgomery as uh as a flex play, I agree with you, Dan, that I, I do think he could end up being being a starter. I also agree. I'm not I'm not sure it helps Jones. I mean, we have to see. You would think he sees some more touches, um, but but maybe not that many more. Uh, I, I guess snaps are going to be the the snap share is really going to be interesting because it was essentially a three way split between. Jones, Montgomery, and Williams, and, and and now obviously a lot of those are going to open up. So we'll we'll see pretty quickly if Jones is going to be able to step up. If Jones is on my roster and he is on a couple of my rosters, I, I would be using this time to sell him. What would you be looking to get for Jones right now, Ryan? Late first? I would take a first as quickly as I could. How about uh, you guys mentioned you might think that Timo has some flex. Uh, playability here going forward at least for 2018 are you guys throwing any picks out for him a third round pick or or i, I don't even know if i th- play a, pay a third but are, are you throwing any kind of picks at him to go pick him up from somebody if he's not already on the waiver wire i would try i don't i, I don't think a third buys him honestly i'm not willing to pay a second for him but i don't think a third rounder buys him i think he's just probably one of those in-between players that you know maybe you pay a second and you get Montgomery and a third back, something along those lines. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I really don't want to pay a second either. And uh, although I, I, I'm i excited about the upside and think that there's something there. If you do, if you're willing to pay a second, now is the time to do it, I think, before he has any kind of impact in a game. Uh, he catches four or five passes and runs the ball four or five times in, in his first game in Baltimore, and that value is going to rise. So I'm fine sending out third-round offers right now, and if you get them, great. Uh, if you really believe, I guess you could do a second, and I don't mind what Ryan said there, a second, and, and then you throw a, th- throw a third in as well. I'm, I'm excited about the upside. I, I'm just not going to get too crazy. He is a free agent after the season. We don't know where that's going to lead. 
Yeah, my dream scenario here is that they finally have realized that Aaron Jones is the better, is the, is the <laughs> more explosive running back. I know it's that dream scenario, and that we already know how good of a pass blocker, yada yada, that Jamal Williams is. So, an obvious passing downs, we can keep him in there as that change of pace, and let just let Jones be in there the rest of the time. Uh, so, I, I doubt that's going to happen. I, I will have to believe uh, to see it to believe it, but uh, that that seems to be what would would be you know, kind of a spark plug for the Packers offense. Do you have another thought there, Dan? Week one of 2019. That's when you'll see it. <laughs> Either that or they, I guess there's not a whole lot of running backs in the 2019 class, but you know, they're probably <laughs> going to throw a, a picket there to, to ruin it again for us. Maybe, maybe we'll get lucky. And this is the final year of McCarthy. You know, they, 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 they moved on from Clinton Dix. I know we don't, we don't talk IDP on this, but that's definitely a move. I think, that uh, hurts their chances. They're already bad enough in the secondary. Unless somehow, Dan, you think that this is a move that's you know addition by subtraction. They're going to get some of these younger guys in there, but it seems like no. A, I, I a think this is move. an obvious. This is an obvious Packers front office saying this is not a Super Bowl caliber team. We need to get rid of guys that we know are not going to be back next year and start playing for 2019. You know, there was rumors that they were going to be in on the Fowler thing out of Jacksonville. And yeah, that would have been, that would have been fine, but it, you know, they, they weren't going to spend a third and, and a fifth to go get Fowler for eight games either. Cause I really think they, they understand what they have there in green Bay and it's starting to look more like 2019 than 2018. I think it's interesting. They're probably, they're not a super bowl team, but I, I do think they're a playoff team. So I, I thought both of the moves, even with what we saw Sunday with Montgomery, I thought both the moves were a little surprising, and I just wonder. I mean, you've got at, at both positions. At, at well, considering I guess I, I'm still kind of considering Montgomery as a receiver, but you've got these young receivers who are stepping up. You've got the young defensive backs, the two rookies that they drafted, who are really playing well. So maybe that made them feel like they could make those moves and and just take picks back, but. I mean, I wonder if they're going to go out and sign another running back. Um, I don't know that I was I was surprised by both of those moves. Honestly, I still consider the Packers contenders. And the other thing I was going to say, I saw uh, our our friend from over at Four for Four, John Paulson, who's also a Packers fan, like you two. Someone asked him with the the coaching news of this week. Someone asked him if he would prefer McCarthy or Hugh Jackson as the Packers coach. And I hope those aren't the options. <laughs> he was actually stumped on that one. So maybe that, uh, that says more about McCarthy than it does. It does about Hugh Jackson. <laughs> I think it definitely yeah. does. Going back to what you, you said about the youth and, and the young players in, in green Bay. I, I think Clinton Dix is probably the worst tackling safety in the league. I, I haven't seen a worse one. Anyway, he has no, he gives no effort towards making tackles and, that was getting old, not just for fans, but for, for that entire organization. I think everybody in Green Bay was, was just tired of everything going on there. And it was fine moving on because I, I really don't think, and and those those guys that have played safety in Green Bay haven't done, very, haven't done anything to make you think it's going to be an upgrade. I don't think they thought it was going to be a huge downgrade to lose Clinton Dix. He is a big name that will probably get a lot of money in free agency, and I'm glad the Packers aren't paying it. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's it's definitely a contract play there. They know they're not going to pay him next season, so you might as well get what you can. And 
hey, they got a fourth round pick for him. So can't hate that too much. Let's move on to the next trade, guys. Uh, let's talk about Texans and Broncos. Demarius Thomas gets traded to the Texans along with a seventh round pick for a fourth rounder and a seventh rounder. So winners in this one, I think it's Watson and I think it's those receivers, especially the biggest winner of maybe the entire day, Cortland Sutton, Dan. Yeah, Sutton is the guy to be really excited about. I I think he could be like in his own category. I know Watson and and Sanders and, you know, all, all those guys are fun to talk about, but it's, this move was done because of Sutton and, and what he's shown to this point, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see wide receiver two numbers going forward. And uh, there, there's probably a pretty good chance now that at the end of the season this year, we're going to lump Sutton in with those top rookie rookies overall from, from this past class. So uh, like all dynasty owners, I'm excited. I am. I, I, I'm seeing people talk about, wow, is Sutton going to be useful right away? Can I, trade a different piece to get something else because I can expect Sutton to be in my lineup now. And those are all things that dynasty owners should be thinking about. I think there's a very good chance that he is a weekly starter on every roster, no matter, no matter what kind of settings you play in or anything. And that's going to afford a lot of depth to dynasty owners that had him kind of waiting in the wings. I'm excited about Sutton as well. You have to be, I think he has flashed uh, some talent this year still you know not a slam dunk producer in the short term in my opinion i mean there's been a, a lot of drops there's been a lot of uh you know inefficient box scores you see like eight targets and two catches and and things like that and honestly that's what demarius thomas was giving them as well and, and that's why they i'm sure that's why they felt like they could go ahead and and move him and and get some something of value for him but um just being being young, being a high draft pick, and now having that uh, essentially that full time role, Sutton is is certainly going to be a guy who's a big gainer over over the second half, even if he does continue to uh, kind of be inconsistent. Uh, Dan, I would want to ask you if at this point you would rather have Sutton or Calvin Ridley. I would much rather have Ridley easily, but wow. but Sutton is moving up the up the list for sure yeah i'm going sudden there pretty easily yeah pretty easily <laughs> pretty easily i know we've wow. seen a lot from them but I, th- I i don't know i just feel like in limited opportunity of what we've seen from sudden I, I it might be recency bias let's be let's be real we haven't seen it from ridley in a couple of weeks now so it might be that um but the other guy here i think you know after he comes back from this mcl sprain is Deshaun hamilton i think he's going to be fit right there in the slot with uh, uh, you know Sanders is occupying that role quite a bit of the time, but with Hamilton there, you know I think he can see some time and really kind of make some noise going down the stretch. You losers from this trade, Ryan Case Keenum, I think uh, downgrade for him potentially just just in terms of losing another weapon. And for Demarius Thomas, I really think it's a downgrade for him, both in terms of the targets he's been getting and also the uh, uh, you know it's it's never really good when these veteran wide receivers change teams mid season. And then my guy Kiki Cutie. Uh, you know, this has to has to not be so good for him as, as well. Yeah, I guess, honestly, I think I would slightly disagree with all three of those. All right. Case Keenum, I, I think he was just, he was just a nothing already. I mean, we, you know, nobody, nobody was using him in, in one quarterback leagues. And, and even in a super flex league, you, you probably weren't too excited to roll him out. So 
Uh, yeah, he he probably loses a little bit of short-term production, but I don't think anybody really was looking at him as, as a 2019 starter anyway. Demarius Thomas, I, I've kind of gone back and forth on that one. I, I mean, Sanders was seeing a, a big target volume there, and and of course Sutton was eating into that as well. And you look at uh, you look at Houston; they they basically have no tight end. They don't use their running back in the passing game. Uh, Will Fuller's out for the year. Uh, our guy Kiki makes some plays, and I think he will continue to make some plays. But I don't think he's necessarily going to be a heavy uh, a, a heavy target type receiver. I think Thomas might even gain some targets with this move. Yeah, I agree with Ryan completely. I, I think he gains quite a bit. I like the offense a lot better because of the quarterback mostly. And, you know, with the exception of Cutie, there there isn't there isn't another option that's gonna demand those seven or eight targets a game, which is what he was seeing in Denver, but I, I think the upgrade at quarterback is enough to to actually make him a fringe wide receiver two, wide receiver three regularly rather than having those games where he'd catch three balls for 23 yards followed up by a five for 60 or, or whatever it was. It was it was maddening to be a to be a Thomas owner and see those numbers fluctuate so much. I, I think it's going to level things off for him just a bit. I do think I would use this chance and and we'll really kind of figure out over the next few days and next couple of weeks what the perception is, what the what the value is. But I, I do think I would use this chance again to sell Demarius Thomas uh, because up until today, I mean, his value has been plummeting. This is a guy you you were seeing traded for first round rookie picks over the off season, and throughout the the first eight weeks of the season, you probably probably couldn't even get a second rounder for him. He was uh, such a frustrating guy to own uh, in, in dynasty league. So depending on what that, what your roster looks like, certainly if you're a, a team that's building, now's your chance to get some value for him. Uh, even if you're a contender and, and you've made it this far without him, I, I would consider <laughs> selling him in that situation as well. The problem with that is I, I don't think even the move to Houston has done enough to move the needle for dynasty owners that they'll suddenly decide I'm going to give up that late first. That that isn't happening. Oh, it's no, going to no, be no. a late second at best. I think I'm taking any second round pick I can get for him. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's what. That's what. I don't think we're no. We're never getting back to the first round range. Certainly. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think a slight value bump. Yeah, maybe maybe you get a mid second where uh, last week you were getting a late second or, or last week you were getting two thirds or something like that. As far as Kiki. Uh, yeah, I, I agree that uh, he's, he's not going to be the second target in that offense anymore. But to me, I, again, I'm using this as a buying chance. His, his value has been spiking uh, lately. And if this turns that the other way, then, then I'm just going to use this and, and, go ahead and grab him where maybe I wouldn't have been able to before, even if it's a 2019 or, or 2020 play even. I was going to say I would rather spend that 2019 second to go ahead and go get Kiki than I would to go ahead and get Demarius. Well, that's really the question. If you're in Dynasty, which one of those guys do you want? Yeah. I I, I just I, I disagree a little bit. And the reason why about the – about his about I think I think you're going to get a perceived value spike in terms of oh look he's going to an exciting new team with Deshaun Watson and stuff but in terms of his target share and stuff I just 
I don't know. I mean, he only he only got nine, only had nine targets left through eight games than Emmanuel Sanders, and he didn't have an alpha receiver there like he did in, with uh, DeAndre Hopkins in uh, in Houston. So I I'm a little less optimistic than you guys, but I definitely think you should be using it as a way to go ahead and just move on from him if you can do that, and if you can buy Kiki for a third somehow still, go ahead, go ahead. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I I think I heard today that. Thomas still has another year on his contract. So if that's true, there is the potential for Thomas to meld well uh, in that offense and play that second fiddle to DeAndre Hopkins. And maybe he does gain a little bit of value back. But like Ryan said, I don't think he's ever getting back to that first round status, uh, even if he is there for a year and a half. He's due next next season in 2019, the final year of his contract. He's due 14 million dollars. So I wonder if I wonder <laughs> if any of that is bonus. How much of that is bonuses and how much? Yeah, so that's what I'm saying is by releasing him. I, I, that's the base salary. So I, I I just don't think he survives that kind of cut unless he just comes out and blows it up. And even if he does, if you know Fuller's coming back and. At this point, Fuller is certainly a player above Thomas. I mean, if that's the case, then maybe Thomas goes into the slot. Um, but I don't know. We're all we're all just speculating right now. This is off season talk. Let's get to the next trade, guys. The final one, probably the probably the most exciting of the day, I guess, depending on how you feel about Court and Sutton. There, uh, the Eagles went out and made another move. They uh, they tried to get Amari Cooper, but they didn't want to give up a first round pick. Instead, they went out and got a player that's probably going to be more productive for them at least in 2018, and that's Golden Tate. They sent a third round pick to uh, the Lions for Golden Tate there. The winners in this one are pretty obvious, I think, too. Ryan, Carson Wentz, Marvin Jones, Kenny Holiday, Carrion Johnson. Uh, yeah, so I, I think this is a move that probably hurts Golden Tate a little bit. It's hard to see him getting those 10 targets a game uh, with all those weapons in Philly like he was getting in Detroit there and kind of had that uh, kind of connection with Matthew Stafford. So um, kind of a downgrade for him, but everybody else uh, in, in Detroit, I, I kind of I think that's an upgrade for him. Yeah, I agree. And what we've seen with the Lions offense this year is that they have essentially tried to turn into more of a running offense. Uh, we've seen a lower pass volume uh, from Stafford. And Warren Sharp actually was pointing out earlier today that when the Lions have run three wide receiver sets this year versus two wide receiver sets, they've been a lot less, uh, a lot less efficient, a lot less successful in those three wide receiver sets. So of course this is going to leave them, we would we would think running two wide receiver sets most of the time with with Marvin Jones and Galladay, and I think both of those guys are are clear winners in this deal just to open up some targets, open up. Um, it, more more snaps, more routes run, all of those things, opportunity-based things that we look at, uh, and and both of those guys get bumps. Of course, Jones gets the short-term. Galladay's still the guy we, we love long-term. Dan, uh, also the lo- other losers on this uh, out of this deal has got to be the a few of the pass catchers on the lower tier of the Eagles there. Nelson Aguilar, of course, who plays out of the slot primarily and probably is mo- going to be more successful there. But unfortunately, that is also uh, Golden Tate's best position. And I think he can play outside a little bit too and did earlier in his career in Seattle. Um, and then Zach Ertz also occupies that area of the field. Jordan Matthews, I think, gets pushed to the bench at this point. And maybe Stafford, small downgrade just because he lost a, a reliable weapon there. Yeah, maybe a small downgrade, but I'm not too worried about Stafford. Jordan Matthews, what little dynasty value he had is 
like you said, it's gone. He's not only pushed to the bench for the Eagles, he, he's almost droppable in dynasty leagues at this point. You're talking about being the fifth guy to catch passes, that's, that's too far down down the list for sure. Ertz isn't going to be affected by this, I don't believe. Uh, and, and Aguilar should probably keep most of his role. He might, he might get dinged more than, more than Ertz. Uh, but I'm not that, all that concerned about that. When it comes to Tate actually landing in Philadelphia, another guy that's contract is, is up. You mentioned earlier, Matt, about receivers switching teams mid season, how it's unlikely that they do it in stride and, and, and go without at least a, a small hiccup in their stats. I'm not sure if that's necessarily the case here with Tate because, like you said, he's in the slot. Uh, most of that work is common from team to team, and I feel like he slides right in there in, the, in that spot and plays a Julian, Julian Edelman-type role. Again, that, that hurts Aguilar a little bit and, and maybe even some of the other receivers, but I really feel like Tate is, is the best best inside receiver at this point on that roster and with Carson Wentz in place and and everything else that's there in Philadelphia I think there's a good chance that he comes close to what he's done in the past with the Lions for the next eight weeks yeah I I disagree you kind of sounded like you weren't too concerned about Aguilar I'm really concerned about Aguilar we've we've seen essentially one good game from him all year uh, he was wide receiver eight way back in week two. Uh, his second best game fantasy-wise was wide receiver 37. So I think this move was made essentially because of Aguilar's uh, struggles this year. And and I haven't exactly figured out what those <laughs> what's causing those struggles. I mean, obviously he's been on the field plenty, uh, and I don't think he's – uh, I don't think it's an efficiency issue. He, he's catching most of the balls thrown his way. He's just not seeing the the targets that he was a year ago. And of course, a healthy uh, a healthy Alshon Jeffrey plays into that a little bit. And um, who knows? But uh, he certainly hasn't been the same receiver that he was a year ago. Throughout his career, though, he's he's shown that his his best production, his best performance, comes out of the slot. And when he has played outside, it hasn't been a good thing. So if they move him to the outside, I don't think we see any any real improvement. Uh, and, and otherwise, he's just going to the bench. So I, I'm worried about Aguilar short, short term and really long term. Yeah, perhaps I, that didn't come out correctly. My, my thought was that this it's not going to affect what Aguilar has done to this point this year. Anybody that expects more than the three or four catches per game after this is is confused for sure and you know so if anything I I wasn't really saying that I wasn't worried I was I was more saying I don't think it affects him because he hasn't been a useful piece for dynasty owners to this point I I assume both we're we're all taking we're all still taking Golden Tate over Nelson Aguilar Absolutely. Uh, if you're yeah. given a choice you, you, for this year and even next year, even though Aguilar's got five years on him, I'd still rather have Tate. It's You know, I think the more interesting one here is is probably with Demarius Thomas. When you package all these guys that moved moved around, Thomas and, and Tate, how much the value difference between them has changed over the, just over the last week, I think. You, you know, you, you said that maybe Thomas's value goes down, Matt, I really feel like Golden Tate went up, and and they're similar in age, 
it's crazy that a landing spot on at the trade deadline can do so much to to change the values of similar players at least age and and production wise. Yeah, I, I I don't I can't agree with that. I think Tate's value goes up. Maybe again because of that perceived bump. Uh, you know, he's going to the Eagles' offense. Yada yada. Better quarterback, depending on how you feel about Wentz versus Stafford. But I just don't think he's going to get ten targets a game like he was getting in Detroit. So uh, I mean, if, even if he dips down to seven or maybe eight, I guess if if you're feeling generous. But I I don't know, man. I, maybe they use it as him as an extension of that running game because he plays like a running back with the ball in his hands and and Smallwood and and Clement. They're not really scaring anybody, and they didn't actually end up making a move to get a running back so maybe he plays a lot of that role and 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 get some targets but if he ended up averaging 10 targets per game like he did in Detroit I would be very surprised yeah but but Tate Tate wasn't averaging 10 10 a game uh he had a couple oh really he had I know he had a couple big ones in the last couple of weeks it seems like they were trying to trying to force him the ball almost I think it was like 12 and 15 or something like that but before that it was regularly five six seven uh, and, and he's done big things with seven or eight targets as well. I, you know, there's, there's good players already in place there. And obviously Ertz is going to get his, uh, Aguilar, like we mentioned, isn't, isn't really a factor. Jeffrey's kind of come on here since returning from injury, but with the amount that the Eagles throw the ball, especially to the slot. And we all agree that he's going to fit in right there in the slot there's the potential for him to still catch six or seven balls, which translates to pretty good numbers over eight weeks. Yeah, he has uh, his high high marks for targets, 15, 13, 12, two games with eight, one with seven, one with six. So 69 targets in, in, in seven games. Uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think in that six to eight range is probably where we're looking at for, for Tate right now, which is fine, I think, as a fantasy wide receiver three. But if we're counting on as a wide receiver two, I don't really think we can do that. Was anybody counting counting on him as a wide receiver too in Detroit over the last few weeks though? Uh, I mean, with bye weeks and stuff, I think he probably got in there for a few teams at uh, at the two spot. But sure. you know, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I just don't think he's going to hit ten. I mean, I don't think he's ever going to double digit targets there uh, with that offense being run through Ertz and and uh, and I don't really think this move affects. We didn't really talk about him, but do you guys think this move affects uh, uh, Alshon Jeffrey at all? No, no, I think really. he's yeah. he's I don't think so, locked either. into his role. I mean, yeah. if you yeah. if you want to simplify it, and we can look at target share and and you know snap rate and all of these things, but when you, when you simplify it, in Detroit he was the number one option, and and there were three guys uh, that we know that were fairly you know fairly evenly divided, but he was the number one option, and we would think in Philly he's going to be the number three option. So it yeah. It's, yeah. it's really as simple as that. Nelson yeah. Aguilar was the number three option, though, right? Yeah. He was the third option in the passing game. And if he replaces Nelson Aguilar, over the last four weeks, he's had 12, 5, 12, and 10 targets. Oh, excuse me. Those were the first four weeks. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say. Was a mistake. Well, yeah. You but even since the... then, it's 4, 5, 7, and 6. So he has 61 targets over those eight weeks. And, you know, I, I think you guys are selling him short just a little bit and we'll have to agree to disagree on this obviously but if i'm a tate owner and he's my wide receiver three at this point i am not gonna panic those three those three high target weeks dan though remember when alshon were was still out on injury so other than those three games he hasn't had more than i guess he had seven two weeks ago but usually four or five 
four and five, six. So right, anyway. Dallas Goddard has a bigger role too. So yada yada, yeah, yada. Um, <laughs> all right, let's move on to your uh, your rookie report card this week, Dan. Who do we got? A big name and a small uh, and a not so big name, I guess. Uh, first, DJ Moore. He had he caught five to six targets and ninety yards, and also carried the ball twice for thirty nine yards. It was a pretty exciting showing. I think we'd all agree that agree with that. They found creative ways to get him the ball. DJ Moore came out as as a guy, Ryan, that that was a questionable route runner. He had a limited route tree in college and, and everybody kind of thought he would develop that part of his game. But what's encouraging for dynasty owners, at least through through eight weeks and especially in week eight, is that they found those creative ways to get him the football. I'm wondering if you expect that to continue going forward. Uh, no, I really don't, honestly. And that has not much to do with DJ Moore and, and a lot to do with the Panthers coaching staff that has really shown throughout their tenure there that, they, that they're not going to use rookies unless they have to. They're just not going to rely on these young players. And, I mean, we haven't seen, you know, it took eight weeks and a Torrey Smith injury for DJ Moore to, to really play this substantial role. And, and I haven't followed the, the Smith thing closely, but I don't think that's a major injury. It sounds like he's expected back pretty soon. And, and honestly, I'm afraid that when he comes back, it's going to be exactly what we saw through most of the the season so far. Um, so long-term, I'm excited about, what what we saw from Moore last week and and what we've seen a little bit uh, I think it was week two he had the long catch for for the touchdown um, but I, I just don't trust this staff to continue to rely on him I guess it would have to be going back to assumption of rational coaching right it just seems to me like they've seen what DJ Moore can do now on only even, even only six targets. So I I feel like it would be hard to put him back in the bag, but you know, who knows with, like you said, with this coaching staff, Norv Turner and, and all that, I I will be, I will say I am, I am pleasantly surprised at the job that Turner has done so far. Uh, I was, I was very scared for this offense um, after what we've seen Turner do in his last couple of stops. Um, So I guess he has that going for him, but, but he's better than Funchess, you guys. We, I think we've seen that. So we would hope that he would continue getting uh, more targets than him. But but Brian's probably right. This is probably not a whole lot to see for the rest of the year for him. Um, I, but maybe he's not. Maybe, would you consider this a breakout game, Ryan? I mean, almost over 100 total yards, 120 yards, whatever it is. Um, no touchdown. But this is kind of a breakout game, right? I guess I always think of a breakout game as – leading to something. So I hope it's a breakout game and I hope we, uh, we continue to see more games like this, this season. Uh, My fear is that we look back in eight more weeks and we look at this as more of a fluke game. I I think we look at it as a sign of things to come in the future when eight weeks roll, roll by, but it's probably pretty likely that this is his best game. So, so maybe not a breakout, but a reason for DJ Moore fans and dynasty owners out there to continue to be patient with him. He really needs to develop his route runner. He's such a quick athlete, and it, and it has never translated to the top of his route. He, do, he doesn't get great separation. He, he made his living in college running lots of crosses, 
quick slants and, and drags and, and catching screen passes and bubble screens and, and, and making moves to get into the open field. That That's not always going to be available. I really did like that they used him a little bit more in non-traditional ways for, for their receivers. But like you, it's been Torrey Smith. Jarius Wright is ca- catching more balls than he is and getting more opportunities. So obviously they're, they're just not willing to trust that young guy out wide. The other guy we covered in the rookie report card this week on DLF, tight end for the Texans, Jordan Thomas. And, and many will probably say, yeah, who was that guy? Because um, none of us really, really were aware of Jordan Thomas coming out of college. In fact, I didn't even... I, didn't even know who he was, but he caught four balls. Of course, it was Thursday night, so all of us were watching. Uh, two of them turned into touchdowns. You know, I thought about it a lot, Matt, over the last four or five days since he had that performance, and, and I kept thinking back to, you know, there's not that many tight ends that are rosterable in Dynasty Leagues. Is Jordan Thomas one of them now that he has a two-touchdown game under his belt? I mean, I think any of these guys that – have a splash game like this or at least worth adding, you know, off of the waiver wire. Uh, I doubt he's on too many rosters right now. So (laughs) sure, go out and get him. We're all searching for this answer at tight end. Uh, what a massive guy, though. He, he actually, I was looking him up uh, today a little bit. He played in college at Mississippi state at six, he's six, five. He played there at two ninety five. 295 pound offensive weapon. Uh, and now he's down to just a svelte 278. So what a massive guy. Um, and if he can, you know, I mean, they're, they're, I think probably the Demarius Thomas signing probably hurts him a little bit there, but I think he's going to be a red zone presence. So, and again, like we always say, one touchdown equals a tight end one for the week. So if he can kind of assert himself in that role, sure. Uh, especially coming up through these difficult bye weeks we still have left. Uh, yeah, Adam this week on waivers, Ben, I don't know. We're, we're getting down to the wire, so I, at this point I'm, I'm already ready to fire all my bullets, maybe not necessarily for Jordan Thomas, but a significant chunk of your, your fab that you have left for him there, especially if you're looking for a tight end to get you through these next couple weeks. Yeah, that was that was kind of what I concluded at the end of the article. I, I thought, we're running out of time to to spend the money. If you need a developmental guy, especially if you have a 25 or 30 man roster, Ryan Thomas, who played wide receiver in college his senior year because they, they needed help at the position. Uh, Thomas is worth at least adding just to see what happens. Yeah, I think so. If, if the rosters are deep enough, the, the thing that stood out to me was uh, they drafted Jordan Thomas late. I think he was the sixth rounder, I believe. Uh, but they also drafted Jordan Akins in the third round. And a lot of people, even though he's, I think he's older than Dan, maybe, uh, a lot of people looked at looked at Jordan Akins as maybe the guy to stash just because they the Texans had spent a, a third round pick on him. But Thomas has already overtaken Akins on the depth chart. Uh, so th- to me, that, that kind of show that obviously shows us uh, how the Texans are, are feeling about those two guys. Uh, again, the Ryan Griffin injury, he's not a guy I followed closely, but uh, even, even when he's healthy, he hasn't been a real difference maker. So sure. If you, if you've got roster spots, especially in a tight end premium league, take a shot on Jordan Thomas. Yeah. And Griffin, he's been in the league for six years now and only once has gone over 20 catches. So I saw some of that stuff on Twitter and thought to myself, really, that's the thing that's going to going to take the opportunity away from one of these rookies. I think the chance exists there. And 
And I put in a few claims for him. Why not? All right, we're uh, we're gonna wrap up this episode with some listener questions, you guys. Uh, our first one here is a little bit of a larger question from at Thomas Carlack. He says, "Can you please give some helpful hints when making trades? Every owner in his league that he tries to trade with has fallen in love with his own their own players. Only want to let them go for exorbitant prices. How do you deal with owners that take every offer you send them as offensive, Dan? Oh, it's so annoying. It's one of the most annoying." parts about being a dynasty owner especially uh and those owners that fall in love with their own players you're never going to talk those guys out of it there there's really no workaround for that um honestly for this guy if, if it's truly as bad as as this tweet looks it's time to find a different league it's it's time to find if you like to trade and nobody else wants to and, and nobody will will come close to a fair offer uh you need to you need to find a league that's full of of active owners that that like moving pieces so i you know while i think there's always little things you can do um you know I, i've always been a fan of trying to talk to the to the owner in person on the phone things like that getting a real conversation going rather than uh emails that take two or three days just to get a response um that that's one way to do it getting to know those guys and and become friendly with them and maybe this is a local league where where you know everybody well um those are little things but truly owners are set in their ways and and how they do things isn't going to change uh because of something you said or or some offer that you sent uh it's it's probably time to find somebody that or another league that that matches what you're trying to do ryan any thoughts on this one yeah, this this one is a tough situation for sure, and, and mostly I agree with Dan. I mean, if if every owner is like that, uh, taking offense and and really just not being willing to trade, then that is that is a signal that it's time to find a new league. There's plenty of leagues to join. Uh, they're being formed on Twitter. They're being formed on the DLF message boards and and other sites like that. So uh, if it's if it's that rough then yeah just just move on it's it's you can change your own behavior but you're not going to change the behavior or change the minds of of these other guys you know it's 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 probably a good idea to explain your your rationale explain your thoughts i i valued this guy equal to a second round pick and and your guy equal to a second round pick but feel free to to tell me what you think your guy is worth and maybe we can work off of that or find different players or, or a draft pick to even things out. I'm sure Thomas has, has tried most of those things, but like I said, if, if it's really as bad as it sounds, it's a, it's a no win situation. I, I know a few owners like this and generally my tactic uh, with the, with these types of guys is to say, okay, well, you know, who do you like on my roster? And they'll name off four or five guys or whatever. And I'll say, okay, how about you rank those guys for me in your order of preference? And now you've kind of put the ball in their court to kind of say, okay, this is who I like. And then you can kind of try to use those, their rankings of, of your players to try to try to find some kind of common ground between the guy that you want. Um, the, other, the other thing that I've tried with some success is to not even – not even target the guy you actually want with these guys ask about a different player and then like, okay, well, you know, you don't really want to sell this guy or it's too high for me. Now I'm, how about, how about this other guy? Um, so just different ways to kind of put the ball in their court and make them say, okay, well, if this is such an offensive offer to you, then maybe you tell me, you know, a reasonable offer uh, of, of what you might expect to get for this player. And sometimes you get the non-productive 
you know, I'm going to ask for every player on your team, you know, just the like spite return offer, which is never productive. So don't do that. Um, but there's there are some ways like that that you can kind of, you know, get under their, their skin a little bit and, and try to crack that tough shell. Um, all right, let's move on. We'll go back to you here, Dan. Uh, will Fitzmagic start all year? Will it be back and forth with him and Winston? I, I kind of believe at this point that the Buccaneers have made their bed. You, you can't go back and forth all year. Now, maybe there's an injury or something along those lines. I think the coaching staff and even the general manager down there in Tampa are in self-preservation mode. They, they need wins and have come to the re- realization that that Winston just turns the football over too much, and it's t- hard to win when you're doing that. So I think we're going to see a lot of Fitzpatrick. Now, he can do the thing that Fitz does regularly at each stop and, and suddenly have his five interception game or something along those lines. But going back and forth will lose the locker room and lose a coach their job. So if you're asking what I think they should do, I think I think they should stick with what they what they did this time because going back and forth more than a couple times is too much. Uh, but I'm assuming we'll see Winston at some point because there's there's no reason to really believe that they'll stick with one guy. Well, I think the reason I think the reason is just what you said. Dirk Cutter is definitely on the hot seat, um, so he wants to go with the guy who thinks he's going to win him some games, and that was Fitzmagic early on. So I definitely think that's going to going to stick. Uh, but this is uh, Christopher Harris calls this category two stuff, and what he what he means by that is stuff you just you just can't know. You guys, this is something that none of us know. You guys have just as much information as we do on this, and it would make sense to be able to say, okay, rational coaching is that he wants to keep his job and get some wins, so let's keep Fitzpatrick in there. But with his, with what they have in, invested in Winston, might not be so likely. Uh, any any takes here, Ryan, or you want to move on? It, yeah, it, it just comes down to the coaching here, and and. I mean, we saw reports today that they supposedly did not or were not willing to trade Deshaun Jackson because they were in win now mode. And they're, I think they're three and four. They're a couple games back in the division already. So, I mean, it cut it. He's, he's not going to be around. No, you know, he's, he's, he's coaching his final eight games. Um, and however he wants to go out, who knows like you said matt we don't really we don't really know they'll, they'll win some more games they'll continue to put up points i think the lesson for us um or the, the takeaway for dynasty owners would be one whoever is whoever is playing is going to put up some major fantasy points um scott barrett had some some tweets and some information that uh, the the two of those winston and fitzpatrick combined have, have thrown for more yardage than any other quarterback through their first eight games in NFL history uh, combined their quarterback one, they're outscoring uh, outscoring Mahomes on the season fantasy wise. So we, we want a piece of that pie. And I guess, secondly, I would say if you do have Jameis stick him on your bench, but don't, don't panic, you know, don't drop him, don't trade him, uh, trade him low, especially if you are in one of those super flex leagues, like, uh, like we play in so many of, uh, now, now's the time to buy, not sell a guy like this. Yeah, if, and if he ends up on another team, you know he's going to get another chance to start at some point uh, with with the dearth of quarterbacks in in the league. So, uh, absolutely, don't don't panic and sell Jameis. And as soon as Tampa Bay 
falls for real out of playoff contention, yeah. they have to hand it back to Winston at that point because there's no point in in watching Fitzpatrick play when Winston could be, you could be seeing more of of what he might be able to do. And we've seen the good Winston, but it's the bad Winston that's that's really a thorn in the side of dynasty owners. Yeah, and like and like Ryan said, in that division especially, these guys these guys are not going to the playoffs. And the NFC, and also with the Saints, Panthers, and Falcons ahead of them, they're they're even if even if they, I don't know. There's there's almost zero scenario I can see with of them making the playoffs. So see a dirt cutter. All right, moving on. At W V Liverbird says. I think that is that right, Liverbird. I didn't sure. say it. the last. The last guy was at Peter Patera. I forgot to say that. This guy at, Dub, at West Virginia Liverbird. We'll say that. Uh, what's the best way to handle the Bell situation going forward? Count on him as a running back one, regardless of the situation, or less so due to the uncertainty because all Steelers backs seem to produce. Uh, Dan, we'll throw it to you. Well, if you're playing me, you can put him in as your RB one. I'm fine with that. <laughs> uh, let's just, I, you know, I understand the question. And, you know, I was watching Mike Tomlin's uh, press conference today, and they were asking him about Le'Veon Bell, and he said, is there any other questions? Because he, he's sick of it. And, you know, I'm, I have Bell in a couple spots. I'm sick of it, too. And we, we just got to wait at this point for him to return to Pittsburgh. If and when he does, we'll we'll see how that that kind of plays out. We, we all expect him here in a couple weeks so he can accrue his season and all those things. But, you know, having expectations of him returning to form immediately is a fool's errand. He There's another tailback in place that is producing at or above the level that Bell has in the past. So it's not like they're going to suddenly say, James Conner, sit down. We got Bell back. Obviously, he'd have a role if he's healthy. You know, my concern more than anything is how invested is Le'Veon Bell going to be once he returns to Pittsburgh and is in playing condition. I don't think we're going to see the guy that lowers his shoulder on the on the sideline to get extra yardage. We're going to see the guy that dips out of bounds. We're going to see the guy that that is doing what he's done to this point this year. And that's keeping myself in good shape to lock in that big contract when free agency hits in 2019. This, this has been so frustrating for bell owners and really frustrating for Connor owners as well, because it feels like you, you've just been looking over your shoulder the whole season. You've got this breakout player who uh, those, those are the, the best stories of, the NFL and those are the the best some of the best parts of playing fantasy when you grab that guy off the waiver wire or you or you take him in the third round and then he he blows up and it's almost like we haven't been able to enjoy that because of this uh, shadow of of Le'Veon Bell and at this point yeah I'm I'm tired of it too I I don't even know when he's going to report. I don't know if he's going to report and, and I almost kind of hope he doesn't report. We, you talked about the assumption of rational coaching, the, the Sigmund Bloom uh, quote. I mean, we're, we're assuming a rational decision from Le'Veon Bell. who's basically given away what $8 million this year or something like that, I think is the number that it's up to. Um, so why would we suddenly assume that he's going to start making rational decisions? Yeah, and especially, I mean, I, I really wonder, again, Category 2 stuff. We have, we have no idea what the usage would be like if if and when Le'Veon Bell reports. But right now, James Conner killing it. 
you know, a huge game again this week. He's currently in, in one less game than, than Todd Gurley, Saquon Barkley, Kareem Hunt, and the other guys at the top. He is the running back two overall in, in points scored currently uh, in standard leagues right now. So uh, he's, he's doing just fine. If you have him, keep it rolling. Number four in PPR leagues overall currently. So it's going to be tough for, for Bell to make any hay, I think, this year, at least for fantasy. Next year, I think, you know, I don't know where he's going to land, but he's going to have some value, whether he's a running back one. It's probably towards the lower end uh, if we're talking dynasty rankings. But production-wise, he could certainly be be a, be a running back one again. Would you guys rather have, in dynasty, would you rather have Bell or Connor right now? Oh, God, it's so hard. I, I think I'd have to say Connor at this point, but it doesn't feel feel great. I, I think I'd rather have Bell at this point. Um, he, he's really one big game away from returning to at least most of his value. People, people immediately see that. There's a little bit of recency biased with the with the Connor love out there, and and I believe he is at least a a the leader in the clubhouse by a long ways to be the starting tailback in Pittsburgh next season, and and all those things that go along with it, but we kind of forget as dynasty owners oh yeah that guy's pretty good and it's only going to take one game and suddenly those those bell the love for bell will will go up dramatically whether that's later this year when he reports to the steelers or when he signs with somebody else in the off season yeah i, I put that poll out on twitter a couple of days ago uh just just straight up connor versus bell in a dynasty league and i did honestly kind of expect connor to to win that poll, whether it's recency bias or, or whatever the case. But I was surprised. It was 64% Connor, 36% Le'Veon. Oh, wow. Man, well, I wish I had by. Connor. I think, I think I'd make the trade if I had Connor. What do you, what are you buying Bell for right now, Dan, with, with all the uncertainty? Oh, uh, I, I think you can, I think you can still get him for, for a first. And that Bell owner is, is, is taking that offer many times. Uh, or a lot of the times, I don't know if I'm given a high first or anything like that, but, but I'm, I'm still comfortable giving a first for him. I don't think you're getting him for one first, Ryan. What do you think? I agree. I, I think, um, yeah, I think it, it would cost multiple first or, um, uh, two late first it would cost, you think? Yep. Easily. Or more than that. Yeah, easily. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I'm spending two, two first for him. Yeah, I'm probably not. I'm probably not paying what what it would take to get Bell at this point. Yeah, I guess has, I'm not getting him anywhere because I'm not. I'm not giving up two, <laughs> like like a has, first and a third, or maybe even a first and a second if they were separated by a year. But but I wouldn't pay two first for him. Turns 27 in February has over 1,500 career touches. It's 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 a lot to 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 ask for right now. Yeah. Um, all right, let's see how much time we got left. We got time for maybe one more question here, guys. Uh, at I'm Taylor Cornell. Haven't you heard? I'm from Cornell. <laughs> what are we doing with uh, with uh, Doug Baldwin? Buy low for a contender, or is he Dunzo, Ryan? Mm, if those are the only options, I guess I would say he's Dunzo. Um, uh, I was kind of hoping for some middle ground too. <laughs> yeah, I need some middle ground. I'm I'm not quite ready to give up on him. I think uh, if you have him on your roster, you're still going to get uh, a few good matchups where you can uh, hopefully find the right time to start him. Uh, but as far as buying him and, and hoping to just plug him in and use him every week, I, I think we're past that point. I've seen a lot of 
uh, a lot of conversations recently or questions Bell, I'm sorry, uh, Baldwin versus uh, a future first rounder. And, and that's not even close. Uh, I want the pick at this point. I don't think, I don't think he's worth a first round pick. Yeah. He's on the wrong side of thir- He already turned 30 as well. So to go along with the injuries that he struggled with earlier in the season, and maybe he's not even over that. I'm, I'm sure that's affecting at least part of that lack of production or, or the, the uneasy feeling that dynasty owners have of what he's done to this point. Um, but when you, when you add that he's getting older, uh, I, I was of the mind that he would come in this year and have one last big season. Cause he was kind of the only show in town left in, in Seattle. He'd get a lot of targets, injuries and age, I guess, caught up to him. I'm, I'm selling if I can sell. Uh, but I don't know if there's other dynasty owners thinking about adding him, before the trade deadline to, to slide into the wide receiver three, unless he has a game or two here before our deadlines come. I don't, I don't think there's a lot of owners trying to buy. I think I would, we talked about earlier DT trading DT away for a second. Talked about golden Tate for a second. I think I would still maybe pay a second for Baldwin too. Uh, His upcoming schedule is is looking really nice. He got the chargers this week, which is going to be a little bit rough, Uh, but the Rams, the Packers, the Niners twice. And then week seven, week 16 in the, in the fantasy Super Bowl, they got the Chiefs in Seattle, which you know I think that's going to be a huge scoring game. So uh, if I if I'm a contender, I think I'm going to the playoffs and have a good chance of making the the finals. I think I might still go ahead and buy him for a second. But otherwise, I think you guys are right. It's probably uh, uh, not a smart buy right now if you're somewhere in the middle. Um, all right, I think that's going to wrap our show for tonight, guys. Any final thoughts before we get out of here? No, I, I'm just kind of sad the trade deadline's over. I want more trades. I know, right? It's fantasy NFL. And on that note, thank you guys so much for listening again to the DLF Dynasty podcast. Uh, if you if you like the show, leave us a rating review on iTunes. Follow Dan at dmiler22. Follow Ryan at ryanmc23. Follow me at mattpriceff. Follow the podcast at DLF Podcast. That's going to do it. See you guys in week Follow the fo- the podcast at DLF Podcast. <laughs> Follow the podcast at DLF Podcast. Oh, that one's gonna be in. <laughs> did, I, did I say podcast? Is that what I said? Follow the podcast. Follow the podcast.